0: Welcome
1: to the week 10 edition of the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by two-time Super Bowl champion and 12-year veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ike Taylor. What's up, Mark? Not much. We're recording this Tuesday morning. Right. Out To everyone today, so you'll be able to listen wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Luminary, and TuneIn. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. This is coming after the Steelers' 17-12 win over the Los Angeles Rams. The Steelers have won four consecutive games, five out of six. Steelers are above 500, Ike, and they would be the sixth seed in the AFC if the season ended today. Ike, we'll get to listener questions, and we'll also discuss the state of the AFC on Taylor Talk, but we'll start where we always do. Your big takeaway from Sunday's game.
2: Man, I got to talk about this dude every week because that's what it's looking like. It's looking like Magic Minka. That's what it's really looking like. It's looking like Kevin Colbert, the GM for the Pittsburgh Steelers, looking like a genius. It's looking like, if we've talked about this before, and I don't think people really understand or really know Mark, man, they got at least 10 first-rounders on that defense. And right now that defense is playing lights out. But I'm going to get back to Minka, man. I'm going to get back to the ball hawk. I'm going to get back to the effect he's having on that defense. I'm going to get back to the points they're allowing. 17 points per game. I'm going to get back to since Minka has been there, he has been a definition of how you should be a stiller. I'm going to get back to Cam doing this thing. I'm going to get back to Bud finally, you know, waking up out of hibernation and doing this thing. T.J., of course, T.J. White has just been Mr., consistent since he stepped into the league but at the same time man since Minka put that black and gold jersey on man he's really had an effect
1: on that defense and before I nerd out with some of the stats I care I saw something on Twitter while I was watching the game Sunday I forget who, who tweeted this but he said that is, is Minka the Steelers best offensive player and I think that's a little bit overstated but let me run you through some of the numbers defensively In seven games with Pittsburgh, 34 tackles, five interceptions, two forced fumbles, a fumble recovery, two defensive touchdowns. Most importantly, Pittsburgh is five and two in those games.
2: I was up there for the game. I got an opportunity to talk to Will Gay and just ask him about Minka. And Gay was like, man, he's just straight business. He doesn't say much. He doesn't go out. He studies hard. And I want him to invite him right, to a dinner, at least to kick it with him, but I don't want to mess up his groove. So I'm like, man, for a young guy to be that professional, cause you, you would think, man, the way I'm playing, if I was him and what we used to do, we used to kick it. <laughs> we used to go out, Mark, but just to see how focused this young man is, he, he gets how to be a professional. And it's just showing on the field, week in and week out, him making plays. And, and to get to your point on scoring, I mean, this man been in the end zone, what, three times now this year?
1: He got three he touchdowns. He two, two defensive touchdowns. And he was the first Steelers player with defensive touchdowns in back-to-back weeks since Sam Washington during the 1984 season. Yeah, that's
2: crazy. And once you get in once – it's kinda addictive. You are trying to get in every time. And you could just see when he has the ball in his hands, he's trying to get in every time. But man, you can't we can't talk enough about, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick. We can talk all day about him, but just to see him, you know, ball out in that black and gold, it's good to see what the defense is doing, especially holding, you know, the LA Rams to to no touchdowns.
1: I I wanna get to the fumble recovery touchdown just shows you never give up on a play. There's been a lot of discussion on whether or not Rams quarterback Jared Goff actually fumbled. Gene Steratore, who is a rules analyst for CBS, says that after the game that he believed it was a fumble. It was a play they reviewed on the field. While I was watching, I didn't think there was any way that the play would stand. I believed it was an incomplete pass, but again, like I said, it just shows you never give up on a play, and it resulted in a Steelers touchdown.
2: Yeah, I tell my kids all the time, go to the whistle. I'm telling my 12-year-old kids, I coach. I tell my kids all the time, man, I always hustle to the ball because when you hustle to the ball, something good usually happens. And Minka right now just have a high IQ. You know, he's not being lazy. He's not looking around. He's not letting the game, he's not letting the referee dictate on what he's going to do. He's going to dictate to the game. He's going to dictate to the ref. So, for Minka, it was a lot of guys around that ball. Minka's IQ was so high and so ball-related and so ball-conscious, he just picked it up and ran with it and scored. So, now it puts, if you do that and not think twice about it, now it puts the referee in the pickle. Like, wait, what's going on? If you just come up to the ball and you hand the ball to the referee, now we got time to review, review the play, and it might not go your way. But when you can dictate, which I thought he kind of dictated, it was no hesitation of him running to the ball and trying to score. Now it's like, oh, snap. Is it a fumble? Is it an incomplete pass? Let me see. So that's just letting you know, and that's just letting me know, just from an IQ standpoint, you can dictate the game if you have confidence and not have any slack on what you're doing.
1: And we saw yet again, Ike, we're watching yet another challenge. It's something we talked about last week on the pod, but with Minka Fitzpatrick first two games without him, the Steelers allow six touchdown passes. They have no interceptions from weeks three to 10, nine touchdown passes in 13 interceptions. We'll break down this defense as we get further along into the podcast. But this Steelers defense, their ability to create takeaways has has just been remarkable this season. And really, to hold the Rams to three points offensively because while Los Angeles scored 12, they got the defensive touchdown at the start of the game with the high snap over Mason Rudolph's head. Dante Fowler walked into the end zone, and then the safety giving up. Only allowing three points defensively in today's NFL, it was a remarkable performance by the Steelers' defense.
2: They're getting in the zone now, Mark. The Pittsburgh Steelers' defense day, and we can go back. When you have, you know, nine, 10 first ten first-rounders, some drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, some not. When you got a lot of those first-rounders, man, you got a lot of talent. Now you're having the talent that's playing together and kind of showing off like i'm going prove it. i'm gonna show it to you why i'm a first rounder so you got nine ten of them guys sitting over there on the defensive side only 11 can play on the field so when you have talent when those guys possess when those guys buy in you can tell you know minka's getting them into buying in it's contagious like once you get a pick Getting the end zone, it gets contagious. Once you have one turnover, it's a snowball effect. It's just contagious. So now what they're doing is ball searching. They're running, they're hitting hard. So once it gets very contagious on defense, you study more. Once you study more, you play better. Once you play better, the game slows up for you. Once the game slows up for you, you're having fun. And you can just tell by, you know, the way those guys between TJ and Bud up front, those guys have been balling. You know, you really don't want to get in a long-down situation. Them two coming. In the middle, you know, Devin and Vince. When Devin and Vince get together, that's Vince Williams and Devin Bush, the rookie, when they get together, you can you can see the old school coming downhill. We stopping the run mentality. Then on the back end, you're you starting to let Joe Hayden, because Nelson is playing good, you're starting to let Joe Hayden kind of sit on one side. And when you sit on one side and not travel and go with the best receiver, you get to really analyze and pick up tips and tendencies what the offense is trying to do to you. It's kind of hard to pick that up when you're traveling with a guy going left, going right. You just solely focus on that receiver. But now that Nelson, the young Nelson is playing good on the right side, it's letting Joe Hayden, which he does best. He's a he's a quarterback spy guy. So that's why he sits on the left side of the defense on the right side of the offense because he's able – just to gather information quick. And you saw towards the end of the game, there was running deep outs during the game. And he he was able to like, I'm breaking on these outs. Let me sit on this one route because I know Minka's behind me. He was able to get that PBU and Minka wound up picking it off. It's just small things like that people don't get to see, but I'm just watching that from a distance. Like, okay, Joe was sitting on one side, Joe Hayden we talking about. So I remember traveling and I remember coach T when I got older, he was like, "We're just going to sit you on one side. And once they sat me on one side, I was able just to focus solely on what the offense, on their tips and tendencies between first, second, and third down, what they like to do depending on what the formation is. And you can just start to see everybody collectively really playing good ball on that defensive side.
1: That's a really interesting point in terms of leaving one of the cornerbacks on a particular side of the field. And I'm sure that as a corner, you'll be able to start to pick up tendencies or tells maybe of the offensive tackle or the offensive guard and the way that a certain player is positioned on what you expect and what you anticipate the offense is going to run, especially considering of how much players watch film from week to week. We
2: are able just to sit on one side, Mark You. Basically, you're just playing, and I got this from Coach Ray Holt. He really simplified football to me. When you're able to sit on one side as a corner, you're not playing the receiver. You're playing the offensive coordinator. Offensive coordinators they don't change. They they don't change what they do. They might have a they might have a wrinkle or a packaging depending on the defensive coordinator. But far as like offensive coordinator. They don't change on what they like to do. It's just from from my standpoint, Coach Ray Horton, he'll be like, respect this receiver. So respect a a Randy Moss, respect a Ocho, you know, respect a Steve Smith, senior, respect those guys and what they can do to the game. A.J. Green, respect them. But this is what the offensive coordinator likes to run on third and three. This is what the offensive coordinator likes to, to run on second and seven. This is the play action pass, this is the formation what they like to do on first and 10. So once you sit and break it down like that and understand if it's a dog receiver, meaning a, a all pro, a heck of a receiver, respect them. But this is what the OCs like to run. And once he broke that down to us, the game slowed up. And you can just tell, you know, Joe Hayden and company, but especially with Joe Hayden, because he's a veteran, he's, he's real seasoned, Once they start, stop letting him travel, him just sitting down on one side. He's breaking a lot of balls up. He's getting comfortable. He understands. Yeah, if they got a pretty good receiver like a Robert Woods or Cooper Cup, I'm going to respect them. But this is what Coach Sean McVay likes to run at this time, down the distance, formation wise.
1: And there's something to be said about that the rams were one of 14 on third down and zero for two on fourth down the steelers also held cooper cup without a catch cup has had five 100 yard receiving games so far this season and it's only the second time in his three-year career where he was held without a catch like he was coming off a seven catch 220 yard performance against cincinnati and he did not have a catch against the Steelers.
2: That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, it's just, I mean, just just for me looking at it, like I know what Cooper Cooper likes to line up in the slot. I mean, in the inside, you know, Cooper is one of those guys who goes in motion along with Robert Woods. Cooper is one of those guys, he go east to west. And what I mean from east to west is, Coach Sean McVay will put him in motion, he'll start on the right side and they'll do over routes, and he'll be on the left side, like, you just understand and you just see. Once you start picking up what OCs like to do, you start to see, okay, who they like to use. And for the most part, you know, when you get a guy in motion like Cooper Cup because his hands are so short, he runs good routes, you see how he like to use him. And me just sitting watching TV for the past year, I know exactly how they like to use Cooper Cup. So if I know exactly how they like to use Cooper Cup, you can only imagine what they're saying in the defensive meeting room.
1: Steelers had four takeaways on defense, four sacks of quarterback Jared Goff. Goff had his lowest-rated passing game of the season as well. Let's get this out of the way here, Ike. If you're interested in advertising or becoming a presenting sponsor of the Believe in Steelers podcast, please contact the Believe podcast network at believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com, dot com. We're going to go to listener questions now. So thank you to those of you that tweeted back at us and responded on Facebook as well. Several different ways you can get in touch with the show. We'll leave our social media handles and information in the show notes. So you can always reach out to us if you have questions about the Steelers or NFL action. Let's start here. Bam Jordan writes in, can this defense carry this team to the playoffs? And is this the best defense the Steelers had since that 08 team?
2: No, not at all. Well, we did, can they bring them into the playoffs the way they played? 100%. When you stop a, and I don't care what league it is, but when you stop an offense from not scoring a touchdown, man, that's pretty damn impressive, you know? 08 defense, you know, historically, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to outdo I know, what we was doing on defense in 2008, you know, them defenses kinda come, you know, once every 30 years, or once every, once every, I ain't gonna say 30, let me break that down. That defense probably come around once every 10 years, you know, cause just looking at, I'm going back to the 70 still curtain, then I'm, gonna, then I'm gonna break it down, I'm gonna go to the, I wanna say 2000 Ravens, was it the 2001? 2000 Ravens, what they did was historic. That I can go even further with, you know, when when Brian Urlacher and them boys was playing, and Briggs, when them boys was playing good over there in Chicago, they was doing some, some magical stuff in Chicago. Then I come to us, I shoot over come to us what we did in 2008. But what we was doing in 2008, man, like, we in the books. We in the books in pass defense, we in the books in, Run defense, we're in the books in total yards, we're in the books in total points. So what I mean by the books is historical stats. So, yeah, can they, are they a playoff caliber defense? 100%. Do they match up to what we did in 2008? Not even.
1: Pittsburgh's 26 takeaways, second most in the league, trailing only the New England Patriots, who have 27 Ike I'm with you I think the defense is legit I think we've seen that so far with the nine game sample size to try to compare it historically before we can even get to the postseason, I think is a bit overstated so I'm with you there one similarity that I found Minka Fitzpatrick in interception in three consecutive games that's the longest streak by a Steelers player since Troy Polamalu your guy had full straight in 2008. So that is one similarity that i found. But let, let's pump the brakes before we go talking Super Bowl. Remember, this is the same Steelers team that started out 0-3 this year.
2: Correct. But, I mean, that's that's the beautiful thing about it. And, you know, I'm going to go back to Will Gay. And just, I was talking to Will this weekend, like, you know, how was Coach T response when y'all was 0-3? And it was like, man, Coach T ain't never, never wavered he's he, he just a guy who never panics, you know? And then, and then looking at where he, where he has to work with, it's a young group you have. You got a first-year quarterback, I think he's going on his sixth or seventh game starting in the NFL. You got a broken up offensive line, so them guys really haven't been too healthy to stay on the field. You got AB going, you got Le'Veon going, So you got James starting, you got Juju finally understanding what it is to be a number one receiver. Vance McDonald, he's finally coming back into the rotation. Connor is in and out, Samuel, Snell is out. So, (laughs) I mean, you got a lot of moving parts and missing pieces that were all pro guys, you know, Pro Bowl guys. You got Big Ben, your head guy. He's out for the season. So it's like, shoot, I'm just gonna write the Pittsburgh Steelers off. And for what Coach Tomlin has been working with in a goal and to win five out of six games from starting 0-3, that's letting you know how good Coach T is as a manager. Cause even with San Fran, you know, what, what they did a couple of years ago, two years ago, when Garoppolo, when he got hurt, you kind of saw like, uh, they struggled. And you can just see the struggle when starters don't start. And that's quarterbacks I'm talking about. But heck, just to see with that defense, how they've been held accountable and just holding the team down. But that starts with Coach T. You know, Just to see how Coach T had them guys mentally ready week in and week out, because they could have win the tank easy. You know, 0-3. Man, that's, there's nothing good about 0-3. You know, mentally it can take a toll on you. But for those guys that have that kind of turnaround, That starts with your head guy, and that's Coach Tomlin.
1: Ike, I did a little research with the 0-3 start. The Houston Texans were the sixth team since 1980 to make the playoffs after starting 0-3, last year's Houston Texans. And so the Steelers are vying to do the same thing. We said off the top that if the playoffs started today, the Steelers would be in as the sixth seed. Let's get to another listener question, though. Justin writes, how much of Juju Smith-Schuster's lack of production is tied to Mason Rudolph versus Smith-Schuster maybe not being a real number one receiver without Antonio Brown there? Man,
2: it's just hard. Like, everybody just everybody just ain't built to be a number one receiver. I'm not saying Juju can't do it. It's just that hard. You know, when you're robbing and you got to be Batman, you kind of understand, like, Dang, Batman is pretty dang tough. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just gonna give me all attention? Yeah, I'm about to give you all the attention. Like, if you're the number one guy, you're my focus. Like, as a defense coordinator, it's you I'm trying to stop. And now, you know, Juju is understanding. Dang, so they had two or three guys on Antonio Brown or AB. No wonder I was wide open. You know, cause me on the linebackers, me on the safety, was me on the third or fourth corner. I'm going to give him work all day. So now when you're the guy and, you know, Juju's starting to see when I'm the guy, man, it's it's a whole different level. But I think for the most part, Juju, don't forget he's still young because he ain't number 22 years old. He's still young. But at the same time, I think Juju is the ultimate teammate. You know, you can just see, like, he's trying to take on that leader role in that wide receiver locker room it's just a good thing to watch but at the same time you know between him and Mason right now the relationship really isn't there because Mason Rudolph is really comfortable with James Washington because he played with him in college you can just tell that's just how it is sometimes you know so I think the more times the more reps those two get together Mason and Juju we'll finally start to see but then it comes on coach Randy the OC. you know it just depends like Now you got to mix and mangle Juju, you got to put them in the slide, you got to put them in motion, you got to put them on the outside. So you just got to figure ways to get Juju the ball. It becomes a little bit of both. Well, really three, time and reps with Mason and Juju. Juju understanding what it is to be a number one receiver and Coach Randy, the OC, and just finding ways to get Juju the ball.
1: Juju is turning 23 later this month, still a very young player. Something that the Fox broadcasters mentioned during the game, and I think this was a deliberate part of the game plan, considering that the Steelers were playing the Rams, was that the Steelers wanted to throw short and to run long. Now, the Steelers struggled to run the ball in this game, only 42 yards rushing. But when you have Aaron Donald up front and Clay Matthews for the Rams, awfully hard to block those guys from a schematic standpoint. I am certain that part of the Steelers' game plan was getting the ball out of Rudolph's hands as quickly as possible, considering that those two guys are coming from you.
2: I would think the philosophy would be going against those two guys up the middle was throw fast, run short, play good defense. That's, that's what I would think. Like you said, get the ball out of Mason Rudolph's hands, really can't control the clock with the run game, but just kind of run it when we need to you know, hopefully the defense will play good, which they did. So, you know, my philosophy, you know, just with a young quarterback, man, I'm gonna get the ball out of his hands ASAP. I really can't control the clock against his defense, running the ball, but I'm gonna sprinkle something in every blue moon to at least get first downs. You know, when it's third and two, I can get a first down with his run game. I knew it was gonna be hard for Pittsburgh to actually like run the ball, but you know, when you're throwing swing passes to your running backs out the backfield, you're throwing flat routes to your tight ends. You know, going to the flats ASAP, real quick. Those are number short runs. We just passing the ball quick, so that's how I look at it. So my philosophy would have been just to count off what you said, man. Get the ball out of Mason Rudolph hands ASAP, and just run the ball when needed off a of third and shorts.
1: And the thing with Rudolph too, any limitations he might have his seventh career game and half the league has started a backup at the quarterback position this season this is a theme we've seen throughout the NFL
2: these coaches getting comfortable with playing the young guys I mean you that's the only way the young guys gonna get better and that's just letting you know like the league is is changing you know with the young generation and these quarterbacks like they gotta play there's no more sitting quarterbacks anymore and and letting them groom under a veteran quarterback in front of them, nah. You about to get your experience started. We about to have our highs and lows started. So it's on the it's on the front offices on the quarter the the coaching staff on. Either all in or you're not when it comes down to these young quarterbacks, and I just think it just comes from. And we talked about this years ago, like. Me and a couple of my homeboys, it just comes from the 707 tournaments. You know, this these 707 tournaments, man, in the summertime and in the springtime with this football, these young kids, man, they start, they start learning offense and defensive and schemes at an early age. You know, back in the day, they didn't have that, you no know, 707 tournaments. So, you know, schematically, these these quarterbacks, man, they're coming into the, the league a little bit more advanced. IQ level real high because of this new 707 that starts early. You know, 12, 15 years old, you know, they got 707 tournaments that's on TV. So that, that I think that's helping the generation when you want to talk about quarterbacks. And that's why, you know, these younger coaches, they understand and they see that. So they're able to take a chance and take a risk on starting a young
1: quarterback in the league. That and then you obviously a lot of the injuries that have happened as well. And maybe this might be, you know, a complete side discussion for another podcast, but when the salary cap changed, what was around 2008, 2009, I remember Sam Bradford for the St. He Louis was the last time, one
2: They had a lot of money, yeah. That,
1: that he was, a, he was that, the last
2: quarterback with a big contract, yep.
1: And that, that's an entirely different discussion. But thank you so much to our listeners that weighed in and asked us questions. You can reach out to us and ask us really anything, and we'll pick the best ones to try to answer here on the show. So certainly love giving the listeners a voice. Thank you so much to those of you that wrote into us. We really, really appreciate it. Ike, let's go to good call, bad call. And I want to start with bad call before we go to good call. Ike, back-to-back weeks now of allowing a safety. Fool me once, shame on you. (laughs) Fool me twice, shame on me. I don't know if the metrics or the data shows that maybe allowing a safety isn't as bad as giving up a touchdown or punting it and then giving up a touchdown. I just hate to see it back-to-back weeks of the Steelers making the same mistake and allowing a safety backed up in, in, in their own territory. I thought that was the bad call, just considering that it had happened the week before.
2: Yeah, Mark, I, and I'm, I'm going to go to a saying Coach T says, all the time, so, find a new problem. So, you get back-to-back weeks where you have two safeties, hey, offense, y'all gotta find a new problem. Cause that's not, a, that's not a problem, a good problem to have. But, on the flip side, Mark, you would rather give up the two than the seven. So, yeah, I'm pissed off, we're professionals. Sooner or later, if we behind the chains or we backed up on our one-yard line, we might we might give up a safety. But at the same time, I take them two over seven any day because y'all see, you know, seven points scoring a touchdown is a lot. Now we have to score two points. All they need to do is kick a field goal, and we'll win the ball game.
1: Especially in a game where points are a premium, maybe giving up the two there isn't as a big of a deal as giving up seven there. Again, whether that's a defensive touchdown or though, then going to punt and the opposing offense only has half a field to work with.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I give up that two to that seven. Because by the end of the day, if I got a drive, that two ain't going to come back to haunt me. That seven or that field goal may come back to haunt me. So if it's 2-0, all we need is to drive down and get a field goal range to score. If it's 7-0, we really got to score a touchdown and the odds are not towards our favor. And scoring a touchdown on, on last drives depending on who your quarterback is so yeah as much as we want to talk about it we're being petty right now but as much as we want to talk about giving up two safeties in back-to-back games that's not a big problem as we would think it is giving up seven
1: I would love to see some of the people that do the hardcore analytics and the different models to see if there's anything to that in terms of maybe giving up a safety there isn't as big of a deal than going to punt. And then the opposing offense only has half a field to work with. I don't know what the numbers and the statistics and probabilities show there. I was just frustrated that again, back to back weeks, let's go to good call though. 855 left in the fourth, fourth and one at the Pittsburgh 34. The Steelers go for it. Rudolph completes a short pass to Trey Edmonds. It ended up getting just a field goal, but the Steelers took more time off the clock. and. I thought it was a great call by coach Tomlin, great execution by the Steelers, and especially considering that it was, you know, one of those short passes that you mentioned earlier considering the struggles of the running game on Sunday.
2: Yeah. And that, and that kind of threw me cuz I remember watching the Inner cigar ball, mark, I'm like, "What the Oh, good call, coach. <laughs> good call, coach. Like, what the heck? Coach T. Oh. Okay. That's a good one. So, you know, but you know, that's that's why he's he's the head coach, you always you always gotta think, you always gotta think a play ahead. And you always gotta think a half ahead. And what I mean by half, because I'm doing this with my 12 year olds, I always think what I ran on third and shorts or second and long in the first quarter, what would I run or what would I count in the third? You gotta think ahead, think ahead of the change. As a head coach or OC, and you know that's exactly what they did. There was a head of the chain, so he was he was two plays in front of the defense coordinator over there and Coach Wade Phillips. So, you know, getting the guy coming out to the backfield to the flats, you know, that was that was a perfect call. And Like we were saying early in the podcast, Mark, you know, quick passes or or short runs, third and three sounds way better than the third and seven, regardless on how I get there, whether I get there for throwing a quick pass to the flats or running the ball. Third and three sounds real good. in third and seven, they, for the most part the Pittsburgh Steelers, they stayed in front of the chains and had very short third down and manageable downs, which helped them a lot.
1: This is a little bit premature, but I want to make the claim that if this does happen, you heard it here first. I think that coach Mike Tomlin should be considered for coach of the year, if the Steelers can keep this rolling. I, I know that Kyle Shanahan's done a great job with the 49ers, but I think Coach Tomlin needs to be in that discussion if the Steelers continue their winning ways. Let's go to Taylor Talk. And on Taylor Talk today, I'm just going to leave it as an open slate with the AFC. I where do you want to start with this?
2: Oh, man. Of course, I'm going to be a homer. But, I mean, I have every right to be. When you talk about Coach Tomlin being the coach of the year, you talk about, for me, coach of the year means doing what Coach Tomlin is doing. You know, I know Coach Kyle Shanahan, you know, he we're talking about him being coach of the year, but he has all the all starters. He's doing what he's supposed to do. You know, we all look for Jimmy Garoppolo to ball out and just seeing what Coach Kyle Shanahan is doing on the offensive side. They're really running the ball and they're running – running the ball out of a lot of funky formations and the defense is playing sound and the defense coordinator over there, he's, he's an emotional guy. You can tell they just feeding off of him. Then you go up top to John Lynch and how John Lynch wants his first round guys. And he's acquired a lot of just hot football, old school, let's go hit them hard kind of guys on that defense. And you can just see, you can just tell. But for the most part, that team is healthy. So this is what this team is expected to do. And this is what I want to see. This is what I should see out of a healthy team. Which is hard to be healthy in the NFL. But then you go to Coach Tomlin, And we said this earlier. There's not too many coaches. There are not there's not too many teams that can win a lot of football games with a second and third quarterback. There's not. A lot of coaches, there's not a lot of teams that could not have a Pro Bowl receiver, Pro Bowl running back, all pro quarterback. Like Coach Tomlin really has been doing more with less. So they wanted to bury the man in the ground when it was 0-3 and, and now the man 5-4 and 4 midway during the season. And the AFC right now is wide open. Other than what the Ravens are doing, and what New England is doing, for the most part, the AFC, other than those two teams, just looking convincingly stout and sound, the AFC is wide open. And, and little do you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're right in the mix. And that starts with Coach Tomlin. So my Taylor talk for the day would be, you know, so far right now, we'll just see how the season ends. Coach Tomlin should be considered coach of the year. On what he's done to that team, where he had to use a third, a third, a third, a third, a third string quarterback going into the LA Chargers Stadium and winning that game. A third, a third, a third string quarterback. This is Mason Rudolph. What you say, this is his, this week, this Thursday, this would be his seven, seventh game starting in the NFL. And which is very impressive. I think, I think we kind of forgetting Big Ben is hurt. You know, I think we – I hate to say it. Like, we're starting to see something new go on in the Pittsburgh still organization, you know, and just to give people an eye opener on how many first-rounders they have on that defensive side. You know, nine to ten guys on that defensive side is saying a lot. And that trade, you know, why would you give them first-round draft pick? Why would you give up? But and we talk about this too all the time, Mark. Like Minka Fitzpatrick is Coach Tomlin's personality. That's him. If he can, if he can drop a, a kid to play in the secondary, that it's Minka. It's Minka. That's just how it is. But yeah, man, I can't stop giving Coach Tomlin enough credit for what he's overcame so far. But we'll see how the season ends. But if it was me and I was a voter and you had to give the coach of the year, tomorrow, Coach
1: Tomlin will get it. A couple points here, because there there was a lot there. A couple points, though. Also, without your two starting running backs, James Conner and Benny Snell, I'm going to go ahead and say this, too. If the Los Angeles Rams played in a different division, we're probably talking about a team that would be in the playoff hunt. They still are at five and four, but we talked about, this previously I think it was last week about how competitive the NFC West is with Seattle that handed the 49ers their first loss of the season last night Steelers also lucked out when Jacoby Brissett went down in the Steelers game Brissett didn't play this last week Colts lost to the Dolphins and if Brissett plays in that game you can't help but wonder would the Colts have won or would, would the Colts have lost against Miami? And why does that matter? Because, you know, the Colts aren't in the Steelers division. This is one of those five and four teams like Pittsburgh that's in the hunt because Pittsburgh won the head-to-head. They're ahead and they would be in if the playoffs were to start today.
2: That's just letting you know. So the, the head quarterback go down for the Colts. Brissett goes down. And they lose the following week. I mean, they lost to Pittsburgh, but they wound up losing, losing the following week. And you can't say the same about Pittsburgh. Like, the head guy went down, and they still standing at 5-4. and four. Yeah, they had a shaky start. Pittsburgh had a shaky start at first, but for the most part, you can't really say that. Like, and now we're starting to say Pittsburgh have a chance, even though we were talking about this too earlier. Like, you know, the odds got them down by two going into Cleveland. But, uh, I'm sure Joe Hayden will have something to say about that since that was his former team.
1: We'll get into that a little bit later. But, yes, the fact that the Browns are favored by two and a half points makes no sense to me at all. Ike, did you see on Sunday, Lamar Jackson had a great game. Did you see he was wearing shades on the sidelines? Too cool for school, baby. When you got that much swaggo and you got that
2: drip, as the young generation would say, and you're just confidence, man, when you man, if Lamar if Lamar wanted to put on a mink coat on that goddamn sideline, man, he could. When no when nobody say nothing. If 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 Lamar wanted to, if if Lamar wanted to have somebody bring him some coffee from the back on the sideline, when nobody say nothing. If Lamar wanted to have donuts or 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 tea or or salad on the sideline and somebody bring it up to him when nobody saying that to him. Lamar Jackson is 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 that good. He's playing that groovy
1: right now. We gotta get Marshawn Lynch to get him a Skittles endorsement. Right. Right. Was, was it Marshawn who had the yeah, Skittles on Mar- the
2: sidelines? Mar- yeah. Yeah. He he well, I mean right now when Lamar doing Mark, man, it's just and And we we talked, you and I talked for a long time. It it was like non-football related last night. So we talked for a good bit. We kind of got to know each other for the most part last night, but just to see Coach Harbaugh come to Lamar on the sideline. And I see why that, that offense is playing the way they playing. The dude is that good, but it's totally unselfish. And it's very contagious when you're good and unselfish. He reminds me of a Troy. You know, just his personality, his demeanor. It's never about me, it's what we doing. You know, and Coach Harbaugh was like, Hey, Lamar, man, in 20 years, man, there's going to be a lot of people wearing your jersey because of what you're doing. And he was like, Coach, that would be a beautiful thing to see. But I'm trying to win a Super Bowl for my teammates. He didn't say it myself. He said, Man, I'm trying to win a Super Bowl for my teammates. And Coach Harbaugh's response was, that's why you're so special, because it's not about you. You know, you're all about somebody and and others instead of yourself. And like I say, Mark, that, that becomes very contagious when you're that good, you know, and for him to break down that play because they had that Heisman package. Mark Ingram, Lamar Jackson, and RG3 sitting in the backfield, so... For him to break down that play on why he did pitch it or didn't pitch it or what was his thoughts, you know, I saw an open man. I saw a guy closing on me, so I wanted to give Archie three the ball and see what he could do with it. Man, that's very unselfish. <laughs> that's very unselfish, but that's why it works. You and know? exciting
1: so, from a fan's perspective. Yeah, so they, they giving you
2: everything. So the OC sitting over there with the Ravens, Man, I just been tipping my head off to him because as an OC, you can be very stubborn and not change towards your personnel. And the players always get scrutinized because an OC can't change, too stubborn. Don't know how to flip it with the new generation. But man, this is a totally different offense from last year to this year when you want to talk about the Baltimore Ravens. You know, so just to see a coach be in the league and change and sit down in the offseason and just change his ways and understands he has somebody special at that quarterback position,
1: it's a beautiful thing to see. That spin move he had, I know this is the Bengals, the only winless team in the NFL. That spin move that he had might have been play of the year. And you're watching that, and then you also see Patrick Mahomes jump pass, two of the most incredible, prolific plays in the same weekend with two of the NFL's premier young quarterbacks. I think this is where kind of the discussion's going. In the AFC, you've got the Patriots at the top, you've got the Ravens at the top. Who's the third best team in the AFC right now? I don't think there's a clear cut answer. I can give you mine, but I want to hear from your perspective first, Ike, because I don't think we have a third best AFC team. I was really hard-pressed to try to figure figure out the answer to that question.
2: Yeah, would I would have went I would have went with Buffalo, but I mean to your point, Mark, there's really no third best team. It's wide open after the Ravens and the New England Patriots, man. It it's just it's just wide open for that position when you want to go to you know, the KC, you know the Kansas City Chiefs like yeah, they're going to score points. They're going to score a lot of points, but the defense is really struggling. So then you got the Tennessee Titans. They they still, with the old school, play play good defense, not turn the ball over on offense, and we're going to run the ball. It's, it's just for that third spot, it's a race, and the race is for everybody. Like, it's on any given Sunday. That third spot is wide open. So, yeah, you can look at the record, but at the same time, other than those two teams, the Ravens and – the Patriots, who we name, there really is no, no really third spot. It's wide open. That's why we're talking, if the season was the end, the 0-3 Pittsburgh Steelers, who are now 5-4, and four, they would be in the wild card race.
1: Like, I was trying to figure out my response to this. With the Chiefs, again, you've got Mahomes, the quarterback talents there. The defense is honestly flimsy. Maybe Houston, but I don't feel great about that either. I think there's a real opportunity for one of these teams to emerge. We'll see what happens as we continue to progress. Before we wrap up the show and before we preview Browns Steelers, I I know that you famously listen to music in your helmet during games, and the reason why right. I thought of that was deck Prescott's warm-up routine oh. on Sunday Night Football. What's, hey. what's going on?
2: I mean, the man was warming up, but you know, social media is undefeated. Social, so the memes, the memes that was coming. having, please keep them coming. And I talk about this all the time, man. Social media is so undefeated. I mean, they had Dak. I don't know if you listen to Anthony Adams, A.K.A. Spice Adams. You know, he, he's a he's a good friend of mine. I actually trained with him when he came out of Penn State, B Tackle, who played for the Chicago Bears right now. He's memeing everybody on social media. He's just a funny dude. And to have Dak, I mean, as soon as they saw that warm up, within 15 minutes, he had a, a salsa, a Latino meme coming out <laughs> with Dak Prescott. So, I mean, and I know Dak. I know Dak very well. So I'm sure all Dak do doing. It's laughing his butt off, but we're gonna see next week if Dak does the same thing, if he does the same thing because people is on his butt right now from working out and he ain't doing nothing but just getting warmed up. It's just, you know, the social media is just undefeated, but just to see what you can do in social media off of a warm up, a warm up, <laughs> a warm up, it's crazy,
1: Mark. If it could become almost a thing where I know a lot of the Golden State Warriors fans would show up early to Oracle when they still played there to see Steph Curry warm up. Now we can get, you know, pregame of Dak Prescott. Do you think he's listening to music? Like, Because, again, I know you listen to music so in your helmet during games. So, like, I guess my question is, like, what did you listen to? What do you think he's listening to?
2: For me, he got his headphones set on because I think everybody, when they warm up, you playing music when you get out and you warm up, you stretch, you go through a routine. Like we had a routine, routine as a secondary, all of us went out. You had your music, but we just had our own routine. That's Dak's routine. So, I mean, Dak just listening to music to keep his mind going. But you know, he's trying to get his hips right. He's going through his quarterback motion. He's trying to get loose. He's trying to get ready before the game. It's just. Okay, social media about to get you, cause cause this is something totally different.
1: So, what did you have in your helmet though when you played? Where you listen to hip hop? What, what were you listening to? Yeah, I had
2: it, I had I had it on Pandora, so I had it on Lil Wayne. So, for me, I just put it on Lil Wayne, Pandora, and I just rocked out. You know, my last I want to say three, but I said I think it's four. Like I just put the headphones, you know, put it in my helmet, and it just went into a zone. You know, it just, just just went to its own. Didn't nobody, I didn't tell nobody because I didn't want to get nobody in trouble. But you know, later on my teammate was like, bro, what's that What's that noise? And I, I put my helmet to him, you're like, bro, listen. Like, bro, you really playing music? Like, yeah, I got music in my helmet. Like, that's tight, right? Hell yeah. So, you know, for me on the defensive side, all I was looking for, all we looked for from the sideline was just signals. So. I look over, catch a signal from Coach LeBeau or one of the guys relay signal to me. I know what defense we running, so it really didn't matter to me. But
1: yeah, man, that was that was pretty groovy. I would think that with Prescott, maybe in the off season, certainly not in the middle of the season, that he might be able to leverage that with some sort of endorsement deal. There's so much that he could do with. I guess that the salsa shuffle—I don't even know what exactly to call it—but Oh, my gosh. It was it was it it blew up on my timeline. It was just man, hilarious. Man, that
2: thing blew up. It, it didn't take long. That's the crazy thing about it. It didn't take long. So that just, let me, that just let me know how creative people are ASAP. It didn't take long for that thing to blow up, man. But the man was just trying to warm up, get his hips right, and just go through his quarterback tendencies, which he does every game. It's just we caught on to it, and we took off with it.
1: So the Steelers have a short week. They play the Cleveland Browns on Thursday night football. The game will be played in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Ike, this makes no sense to me. The Browns open as a two and a half point favorite. Cleveland is coming off of a 19-16 win over the Buffalo Bills. The Browns also snapped a four-game losing streak. But Ike, this makes no sense to me. Here's why. Pittsburgh is 7-0 and 1 in its past eight meetings with Cleveland. I don't understand why they're favored in this game. I'm just going to say that. You can weigh in. Obviously, you know about the AFC North rivalry. This makes no sense to me at all. I don't get it. I don't get
2: it. Mark, you know, I, I thought the same thing also. How in the world are the Cleveland Browns a two-point favorite against the Pittsburgh Steelers? But then I got to thinking. Nick Chubbs is running the ball. <laughs> the offense goes through Nick Chubbs. But then you get Kareem Hunt back. So this is Kareem Hunt. So this will be Kareem Hunt second game. So now you got a one-two punch because we all saw what Kareem Hunt did in KC. You know, he was a jingle piece in KC with Patrick Mahomes and company. But at the same time, you know, if Freddie Kitchens, and I can see the two-point favorite, if Freddie Kitchens, if he stick to the run game between Nick and Kareem, that gives them options. That then you really see the OBJs, the the Jarvis Landry's, the the play-action pass. If not, that two-point favor is nothing towards the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. But I think Joe Hayden will have something to say about that. Mark,
1: I've got a couple counters. The Steelers could see the return of James Conner on Thursday. Conner's been out with that AC joint injury in his shoulder. He's missed the last two games. He could return on Thursday, and we're really placing our faith in Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Soup Kitchens is what I've heard him nicknamed as. I, I just, with the Browns, they've made so many head-scratching decisions this season. I'm not questioning the talent that they have. On both sides of the ball, really, too, you mentioned a lot of their skill position players offensively. Miles Garrett's as good as any defensive lineman in the league. There's a reason this team is three and six this year. And there's a reason why this franchise has the longest active playoff drought in the entire league. This line still makes no sense. I understand the games played in Cleveland. I understand the Steelers at times have struggled to score this season. But with how both of these two teams are trending, look, I'm not a betting man. But the fact that the Steelers are two and a half point underdogs, it it makes no sense to me. And maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe I hope I didn't just jinx the Steelers. It, it still just does not make sense to me at all.
2: I mean, just looking looking at it, looking at it from a coach's perspective, if I'm Coach Freddie and I see how hot the Pittsburgh Steelers defense is playing, you know, for me to throw a little water on that flame, you know, my game plan is going to be Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt
1: with the talent they have at the skill position players you kind of wonder is is cleveland's offensive line susceptible and it has that contributed to the team's problems this season i think we'll see thursday night
2: i mean if you want to talk about the offensive line the, the best way you can help offensive line is run the ball i mean those guys you know by the end of the day they don't mind putting their weight on a defensive alignment when it comes down to you know, having the a skill set, being a passing offensive lineman, it's hard. I mean, you're I mean, you asking, you know, an offensive lineman to be a dancing bear, as we would say, on having the skill for pass blocking. So, if you want to help your O-line, what you do, man, you run the ball. You know, you let them guys put their weight on defensive alignment and it takes a toll on the defensive lineman from the first to maybe the third quarter. You know, so... You was kind of getting to my point, which I wanted to say, you know, from here on out, man, I just tell OBJ and, and, and Landry and the, and the receivers, hey, look, man, y'all might really not have action to the second quarter because we're going to run the ball. But if y'all can just trust me on, on this run game, the play-action pass going to be wide open. Y'all boys going to be wide open. So I'm not asking y'all to be patient. I'm just asking y'all, this is what I'm doing. And that's when the dad part got come to out, come out of Freddie Kitchens. I'm not asking y'all for a favor or, hey man, let's be patient. This is what I'm doing. Respect it. This is what I think is good for the team. We're we'll gonna give the ball to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. We'll get this play action pass going. Y'all boys gonna be running wide open, and we'll high five after.
1: There's no denying their talent, and with the Thursday night game, we'll have a Friday edition of the Believe in Steelers podcast following Thursday night's game. So. Be sure to tune in, rate, review, and subscribe. Again, there are several different ways that you can listen. We certainly appreciate those of you that have left us reviews; it means a lot to us. We've gotten several five-star reviews on iTunes, so thank you to the listeners there.
2: I want to put my two cents in and thank all the listeners, listeners for tuning into this, you know, Believe podcast between myself and Mark Bergen. Like I told y'all, man, things just gonna get a little bit better. On this podcast, just keep tuning in, man. We're going to come back twice this week. So y'all get a double dose of us this week. The Pittsburgh Steelers is playing the Cleveland Browns. So we'll catch y'all on Fridays. Make sure y'all put the questions in to Mark or myself on uh, where I try to answer them, of course. But I want to thank everybody for just listening to this Believe podcast.
1: And come up with creative questions, too. You can ask us anything. If it makes us laugh, probably be more inclined to include it in the show. So nothing is off limits there. For Ike Taylor, I'm Mark Bergen. Thanks for listening to the Believe in Steelers podcast. We'll see you Friday. So long, everyone. Peace.